to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, BPW's weekly show where we hit on all of the latest and greatest news of the week. Scorching hot takes, sometimes freezing cold takes. We've got it all. Uh, and so I'm happy to be here delivering those to you. Obviously, it has been a relatively dormant week for Bayern Munich news and Germany news. Germany is, of course, preparing to take on Turkey and Austria. Bayern Munich is off and its players are spread out everywhere globally. So this is a, as always, it's a very interesting time because we do start to see stories leak about the team. We start to see a lot of discussion about the German national team. Uh, but with Bayern Munich, there's just always something going on. And this week we had a, quite a few transfer rumors break. We saw some, some topics emerge among the fan base, some interesting debates that we'll touch on. But I did want to start by saying, if you have not had the opportunity to listen to uh, the BPW flagship show, which dropped on Monday morning, very early Monday morning, uh, Eastern time, uh, I, I suggest you do that because my opening topic for today is going to be to touch on that show. I need no name and schnitzel uh, had a lot of back and forth. It looked like one of those. E well, not looked like it sounded like one of those ESPN debate shows. Uh, masterfully done. Very good discussion by those two. I had a blast listening to it. Uh, sometimes bantering and bickering does not come across well in a podcast format, Format, but this time it absolutely worked. Uh, my favorite personal move was I Need No Name playing the ultimate heel in saying he was going to defend Tuchel and making Schnitzel have to trash Tuchel or not trash him, but criticize him. Uh, when normally that falls right into I Need No Name's wheelhouse. So a little bit of trickery there by I Need No Name, but Schnitzel handled himself really, really well. A lot of fun those two had in doing that, and I had a lot of fun listening to it. But one of the big topics that they did talk about that I wanted to give my take on was this emerging topic of Harry Kane versus Robert Lewandowski. Uh, I Need No Name had a, a take about legacy and that that Kane could overtake Lewandowski's legacy in just one season. I don't go that far. I don't really buy that no matter what the end results are. Uh, I, I, for somebody like me who was very critical of Lewandowski for several things, typically not his performance, everything that I think I criticized him for was more off the field type things. Uh, but Lewandowski had just an impeccable run at Bayern Munich from the time he joined the club under Pep Guardiola right through till his last season. Uh, Lewandowski was great. He was the kind of striker that you want. He was goal hungry. He could score in just in a diverse array of ways. Uh, he was dangerous every time he stepped foot on the pitch. Robert Lewandowski was the player that Bayern Munich absolutely needed to carry that period when we started to see some of the greats leave and the squad start to turn over. They needed someone with superstar power to carry the attack. And Lewandowski stepped up and did that deftly. He won the Bundesliga countless times. He had a couple of pokals in there. Won the Champions League, of course, was part of that sextuple winning squad. And that's where I think you look at Lewandowski and what his legacy is. The fact that not only did he win all of the domestic titles, not only did he win several Torga Canones, not only did he set the Bundesliga record in goals, but 
ultimately the biggest thing you can achieve as a player is team success. And he led Bayern Munich on that run to a sextuple under Hansi Flick. And it was pretty incredible. And I, I honestly think had he not gotten hurt in the follow-up season, Bayern Munich would have been well positioned to make another run at the Champions League. But ultimately, uh, Lewandowski, of course, succumbed to an injury and Bayern was booted out by PSG, which led to Hansi Flick leaving the club. So this was, uh, you know, Lewandowski, when I when I think about how I view him versus Harry Kane, to me, it's not worth the discussion yet in terms of a legacy because Lewandowski did so many great things. Now, all of that said, Lewandowski did have his moments off the field. Uh, there, of course, were several scraps, one with Matt Hummels, one with Kingsley Coman uh, during training sessions. He was consistently involved in transfer rumors and always was putting out forward thinking statements, talking about his brand and eventually moving to LAFC or another West Coast team in MLS so he could build that brand and take it globally. There were a lot of things with Lewandowski that didn't necessarily irk me, but that he didn't help himself with some of the things he did. And I think when we go back and we look at 2018, when all of the transfer rumors were spiking, Real Madrid, FC Barcelona, PSG, Chelsea, Manchester United, everyone was in on Lewandowski and he was soaking up all of that attention. Now, ultimately, Uli Honus and Karl Heinz Rummenigge got to Lewandowski convinced him to stay. And, and of course, we know what happened after that. A lot of good things. But Lewandowski could have handled that situation better. He didn't need to spike things up. He was very temperamental at times off the field. Uh, on the field, he could definitely be a jerk to his teammates. And we saw, you know, his emotional displays with gesturing and sometimes yelling and all of that. Uh, one of the things that struck me, and it was kind of weird, was during that 2020 season when well i guess we should say the 2019 2020 season hansi flick takes over for nico kovac but if you remember going back there philippe coutinho joined the club and it was yet another move by bayern munich to try and displace thomas muller from the 10 position uh coutinho had made the move from liverpool to barcelona had not really established himself or really gotten on track barca was just looking to unload whatever percentage of his salary they were going to have Bayern Munich pay and send him off on a loan. And there were a lot of hopes there for Coutinho. Now, ultimately, Coutinho ended up being a very good team player, but ultimately a role player and not a starter. But when he first made that move, one thing that struck me as, I don't want to say disloyal, but very questionable was Lewandowski's statements about needing a player like Coutinho to take the attack forward. And even going as far now, we all know how Lewandowski was so goal hungry and records driven and all of that, giving away a PK to Coutinho <laughs> during, I think it was one of his first matches with the club. But either way, uh, Coutinho was a player who I, I didn't regard as someone who was coming in to be a savior, but apparently Robert Lewandowski did. And I thought that was not. I thought it was a disservice to his team, his current teammates, and ultimately those teammates that were good enough to win a Champions League later that season. Uh, I didn't really like how he handled that situation. Now, in some ways, you can say, well, he was just being welcoming and blah, blah, blah. And, and I get that. And, and Lewandowski, for a lot of the criticism that was levied at him, 
was considered to be a good teammate overall, even though he did have his moments uh, on the pitch where he was demonstrative and, and kind of demeaning to some teammates. That said, most of the time Lewandowski was right. He was not getting the service that was deserved or required to him. So either way, uh, Lewandowski didn't always handle those situations the right way. And I think that maybe, maybe caused some issues between fans and how they thought of him. But in the end, when you assess his performance, you assess how he did on and off the field. Uh, Robert Lewandowski is a Bayern Munich legend. And I don't think anyone would dispute that. One of the greatest players to ever don the kit for the club. Uh, one of the greatest players ever to play in the Bundesliga. Uh, Robert Lewandowski was just that good. Now, how he went out and left Bayern Munich for Barcelona, again, that's something that left fans hurt. It left fans questioning what he was all about. And at the time, I was someone who did not think he was going to stay when he started to make threats because over the course of that season under Julian Nagelsmann, you could see the team start to shift in their thinking. Nagelsmann was not Hansi Flick. He was not going to make Lewandowski the focal point of the attack. Nagelsmann, for all of his good traits, he was a tinkerer. He was someone who was always looking to change his philosophies and strategies. And at some point, he had made the decision that this was going to be a more well-balanced attack, one that was going to allow other players to have a little bit more freedom and look for their own shot. And ultimately, it didn't work because, you know, Robert Lewandowski left. The team was left without a true number nine. And ultimately, they didn't achieve really much in that first season under Nagelsmann, let's be honest. Uh, they won the Bundesliga, but at that point, it's it's almost become a foregone conclusion that Bayern should win the Bundesliga by many. So I wasn't really thrilled with Nagelsmann after his first year, but the biggest damage I believe Nagelsmann did was isolating Lewandowski, not having a strategy that was going to make him the focal point of the attack and then subsequently pushing him to leave. Uh, you know, listen, Lewandowski could have made the decision to stay. He could have worked with Nagelsmann to figure out some kind of middle ground here to make things happen. But ultimately, Lewandowski was looking at his age. He was looking at his situation and this insatiable need or desire to have a global brand. What better way to do it if if you're going to leave Bayern Munich than to go to FC Barcelona, one of the world's most popular clubs? Hasn't quite worked out the way that Lewandowski had hoped. Team-wise, Barcelona has not had all of the great success I think he was anticipating. Numbers-wise, he has not been exactly as dominant as I think Barcelona would like. This summer, I mean, this season, he's been struggling a little bit as well. But all of that, in the end, it doesn't take away from all the great things that he did on the pitch. So when I look at his legacy as a player, not just at Bayern Munich, but just in general, Robert Lewandowski is just a tremendous, tremendous player. When comparing him to Harry Kane, though, and we look at how Kane is performing, just the ridiculous numbers he's putting up and the fantastic performances that he's had. Yeah, I mean, I think in the end, when all is said and done in Kane's time with Bayern Munich is reviewed and assessed and people want to talk about his legacy, it's not going to, there's no doubt in my mind, it's not going to come down to how he's performed on the pitch in terms of numbers. He's going to either match or exceed Robert Lewandowski's numbers. I mean, those are, those are just facts at this point. Kane is on such a roll. If he stays healthy, that things are going to work out for him. And, and he is diverse in a way 
that's a little bit different than Lewandowski and how he can score. I thought Lewandowski was a more dynamic player than Kane, but Kane is what I would say ruthlessly efficient in how he finds space, how he positions himself and how he is able to make every goal almost look basic. Whereas Lewandowski had highlight real goal after highlight real goal and everything looked, I mean, like you just came away impressed Kane. I feel like he's not getting those highlight level goals, but he just is producing and producing and producing and pouring it on. So comparing the two, I think talent wise, they both have their merits. I think they're both incredible players. Legacy wise, it's way too early to talk about Kane versus Lewandowski, but just pure talent wise and their ability to score. It's about as dead even to me as you can get. Uh, and, And I am a Lewandowski guy. And I think ultimately, you know, in the end, uh, when you when you look at things, it's going to come down to the championships and how people view Harry Kane's time at Bayern Munich versus Robert Lewandowski's time. But pure talent wise, there there's a lot of similarities in them. Like I said, I prefer Lewandowski because he was a little more dynamic of a player, a little bit more exciting of a player. But Kane, there's absolutely something to be said about how ruthlessly efficient he is. And I admire that about him. As someone who never thought he would make the move to Bayern Munich, I again, my stance on Kane was always that he's not making the move in his prime from England to go to Germany. It's never going to happen. No English players leaving the Premier League. But Kane bucked that trend, and he proved me wrong completely. Now, I never had any doubt he would how successful he would be. One of my stances was always that if he somehow did make the move, he's going to come over and dominate, and he's proven that he can do that. I just keep thinking about Kane in terms of this. Kane has not had the best service this season, much like Lewandowski during his final season at Bayern Munich. Kane has not always been the focal point of the attack. Uh, Leroy Sané has had uh, an off the chart season. Uh, So he's getting more looks and more shots and more opportunities. But when you factor in Sané taking a little bit uh, more chances than I think uh, many would have anticipated at this point, you you factor in that Kingsley Coman and Serge Gnabry have also become a little bit more shot minded, and so has Jamal Musiala. I I just think about about, uh, about where Kane could be, what he could be doing, what his numbers could look like if this team was functioning like it did under Hansi Flick. And it made that striker position the focal point of the attack. I think what we all can agree on, whether you prefer Lewandowski or whether you prefer Kane, is that the system that Julian Nagelsmann tried to use last season that relied upon no striker and trying to replace Robert Lewandowski with a cooked Sadio Mane was a terrible idea. It was a terrible sporting idea from the personnel department, including Brazo. It was a horrible strategy for Julian Nagelsmann. And again, I've said this a million times by the time Nagelsmann started to figure things out by the time he figured out like, okay, we can win as a team with an average striker and Chupo. But if we power him with players like Thomas Muller and Jamal Musiala, who can not just feed him the ball, but also facilitate offense to Chupo and others. By the time Nagelsmann figured all that out, it was too late and he got fired. And that's the truth of the matter. Uh, It took him too long to realize who his best 11 players were. And in the end, coaches at Bayern Munich don't have time. They don't have a season and a half to figure it out because there's always a better coach out there who Bayern Munich is willing to pay for. And ultimately, they deemed Tuchel to be that better coach and they paid for him. Now, Tuchel, in my opinion, 
for as good and as fair as he's been toward Kane, and, and by all accounts, Kane is one of Tuchel's guys, uh, I think he does need to start to shift some of that focus from the other players to Kane just because of Kane's efficiency and because of how well Kane has handled things. If you're counting on Kane for you know one and a half to two goals a game at this point, I mean, that's a great place to start. And I, I do think that overall, the, the team still needs to feature Kane more and still needs to, to make him that player that they are, are all looking toward. Because when you have that kind of player who draws that much attention, it just naturally opens things up for other people. And that's where you start to see the other players have more success. Uh, I, I haven't always been a fan this season of how Bayern Munich's players have forced things, have looked for their own shot more so than, than looking for Kane. I also haven't liked how Kane has gotten stagnant at times and has not made uh, those short, especially short diagonal runs to toward the ball to players like Kingsley Coman or Serge Gnabry. Uh, Kane is almost at times preferred to stay on the outskirts of the goal box and, and look for balls and rebounds that come in after his teammates shoot or lob passes in. Um, I would like to see Kane be a little bit more active, but in the end, it's nitpicking. You can't argue with his production. So I'm extremely happy with Harry Kane. At the same time, I was extremely happy with Robert Lewandowski's tenure. Right now, if I'm just going player for player, I'm still a Lewandowski guy. But I think at the end of each player's career, fans and pundits will, will take a look at titles. They'll take a look at scoring and they'll probably decide that Kane was a better player than Lewandowski. But I don't think anyone sh should forget what Lewandowski has done now, especially with, you know, the way things go and the, what have you done for me lately? Nature of society, Lewandowski struggling now. Kane is excelling. Uh, it really doesn't matter. They're both great players and hell, I would take them both at the same time at Bayern Munich if we could, but, uh, it would uh it, it's definitely a fun topic to debate but uh, i definitely side with the schnitzel on the legacy part of this it's way too early to talk about legacy and it does do a little bit of a disservice toward robert Lewandowski and all that he did even if he was a jerk at times toward the media toward the team to his teammates uh, it, it's such a weird dichotomy with, with Lewandowski because he was in so many ways a player that people would describe as selfish or self-centered but all of his teammates to a T, they they talk about his work ethic and how good of a person he was in the locker room and, and 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 how you know how they enjoyed their time with him. It's not as if he was a hated player. He was in in a lot of ways, he was a guy who once he got on the pitch was so focused on scoring that it became the only thing that he thought about. And sometimes there were things said and there were actions made that that were probably not appropriate in terms of how you treat people or teammates, but that's the kind of player that Lewandowski was. And there's always something to be said about someone who's so driven to do what his job is and to and in turn help the team succeed. So uh, I had a lot of fun listening to not just Schnitzel and I need no name debate Kane versus Lewandowski, but also some of the, the social media back and forth that we have seen. So uh, you know, drop me your comments. Who do you prefer, Kane versus Lewandowski? Again, I'm a Lewandowski guy, but in the end, you know, we're still a little, we're a little bit away from from pundits figuring out who was the better player overall and and who had the better career. One of the other big stories of the week does involve a Bayern Munich player and Joshua Kimmich, but it involves mostly the German national team. 
we did see Bill leak a story that said Tom, uh, sorry, <laughs> Julian Nagelsmann does not view Joshua Kimmich as a right back any longer. And of course, there were reports circulating and rumors that that because of Germany's lack of depth at right back, that Kimmich could be considered to, to move over and play the position for Germany just because the central midfield has other good players, whereas right back does not have anyone who might be at Kimmich's quality. This story was very interesting to me for several reasons. Now, I, I side with Nagelsmann here. I no longer view Kimmich as a right back either. I, I don't think Kimmich, I think he's lost a step in the past couple of years. I don't think he's quite the player he was. I mean, he was never an absolute speedster. He wasn't slow or anything. But when you're playing outside back and you're facing these track stars out there at wing, you can't afford to lose a step. <laughs> and I think Kimmich has. And I think Kimmich has also settled into the role of being a central midfielder. His mindset is completely different than it was when he was a younger player and a little more selfless and a little more flexible. I think Nagelsmann has the right read on this. Kimmich is, is, has moved on mentally from being a right back. I don't think you get the best Kimmich if you put him out there. But the the subplot of this was, was something that struck me. And, it, and like, listen, Nagelsmann will do what he wants with Kimmich, but the word leaking that, that Nagelsmann sees Kimmich as a defensive midfielder struck me because, to me, it, it flew in the face of comments made by Thomas Tuchel. And, of course, the dynamic between Nagelsmann and Tuchel is very interesting because Tuchel took over for Nagelsmann. Uh, very abruptly and very shockingly. So Nagelsmann making that kind of comment, if it's true, and of course, again, we're going off of reports from Build, it, it it shows me that Nagelsmann has not gotten fully over the firing. <laughs> and I think it was a shot at Tuchel. I think it was a shot at Bayern Munich. Uh, obviously, we all know that Bayern is looking for a defensive midfielder. Tuchel and Kimmich have publicly gone back and forth about it with Tuchel saying that he sees Kimmich as more of a player to, to be more up the pitch as more of an eight where Kimmich says he's a six and that's what his position is. So we know there's friction there and we know that Nagelsmann right now just dumped a can of gasoline onto that fire because he's basically saying like, you guys are all wrong at Bayern Munich. Kimmich is a six. That's how we're going to use him with the national team. And that's his position. That's where he should play. So it does create a little bit of an issue because now Kimmich's definitely going to have that vindication behind him. He's going to say, yeah, well, you don't think I'm a six, but the German national team thinks I'm a six. Julian Nagelsmann, my old coach, thinks I'm a six. Why don't you? Why are you trying to replace me at that position and push me into the number eight? And I think this is going to create a little bit of friction. Again, if this is all true, I think it does create some friction even more between Kimmich, the club, and Tuchel. Nagelsmann is just playing chess right now with everyone uh, creating a bleep show for Bayern Munich because I, I think it was very purposeful that this was leaked. I think there was total intent to create some discord between Kimmich and Tuchel and Bayern Munich. And with the rumors that, that Kimmich could be looking to move on this summer, I don't think he needed any vindication that that he his line of thinking was the right one. I mean, he was already down that road and to have a very important person in his professional career back him, saying him, saying about him that he is the number six and that's where he should play. I, I think it's going to uh, create a, a very curious scenario 
in, in Munich. And I think this is a situation that once the January transfer window hits and Byron inevitably goes out and gets a, a number six. And again, it could be any type of quality of number six. It could be a starting quality player. It could be a number six, like Mark Rocco was a number six. Rocco never got on the field. We don't know. We just know they're going to get one. We just don't know how much they're going to spend. And if the threshold of spending that they have is going to allow them to get someone who's good enough to knock Leon Goretzka off to the bench and then push Kimmich up to the number eight. And that's the big thing to me with the way Kimmich and Goretzka have played together this season. I'm perfectly comfortable riding them out. Many of you are not. Many of you hate Goretzka. Many of you are not fans of Kimmich right now. There's been a monumental shift in the way that fans think about the Bayern Munich midfield, but I think I'm on an Island maybe with a few others where I'm okay with how they have played. And I think they've looked pretty good. And I get that there are technical parts of each player's game that are, are not to where many fans think they need to be. But at this point, the team just seems to function better with that midfield tandem. And I think the chemistry that they build up actually helps the team. So I'm good with Kimmich and Goretzka. Uh, I don't think we're probably going to see Kimmich and Goretzka partnering for Germany all that consistently just because of Ilkay Gundogan still being there and what we know about Gundogan in the situation, he was ready to walk away from the German national team when he wasn't starting. And, and given that Nagelsmann has made him the captain, he's absolutely going to be in the lineup. And if he's not in the starting 11, it just seems like he you know, could be more inclined to take a look at retiring from the national team scene once again. So uh, very interesting that Hansi Flick went out of his way to convince Gundogan to come back. And now uh, Gundogan conceivably could be overstaying his welcome. I don't think he's been great in his last few appearances with the German national team. I would kind of like to see Kimmich and Gretzka get some run together for Germany, but doesn't look like that's going to happen all that consistently as long as Gundogan is around. Right now, we're going to take a quick break, but we are going to come back, talk a little bit more about the German national team. We're going to look at some of Bayern Munich's upcoming games, and we're going to touch on that Alfonso Davies news. I know Davies keeps coming up on this show. Uh, but more news broke about him this week, so we'll cover that. Uh, we'll do all of that quickly, and we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Weekend Warm-Up Podcast. This is Chuck Smith. Happy to be here delivering you this podcast once again this week. Uh, we hit on some fun topics there in the first segment. Harry Kane versus Robert Lewandowski. Julian uh, Nagel Nagelsmann's curious comments about Yoshua Kimmich definitely being a six and having no plans to use him as a right back. But Leading into that, we really can look at Germany's slate of games here. So they are playing against Turkey and Austria. These are two teams that are, one, have given Germany some trouble in, in recent history. And there are also two very, in my mind, underrated teams, given the talent levels that they have. Now, historically, Germany should be a better team. They should be uh, a more deep, more talented and, and faster team than either Austria or Turkey. But Turkey is is a tough team with underrated players. They are, in my mind, set up perfectly to give Germany a lot of problems. Similarly, Austria is extremely underrated in my mind. Uh, we could look at David Alaba. We could look at Savitz, Marcel Savitzer, Conrad Leimer. There is some very good talent on Austria, so much so that I think given that Germany is not necessarily at its best, both of these matches are, are going to be extremely tough tests for Julian Nagelsmann and his team. 
But what I think Nagelsmann is going to need to see, and I think ultimately it's going to come down to results. I think he needs one win and one draw out of these two games at a minimum. Two wins would be fantastic. I don't think Nagelsmann can afford a loss, and it's a mindset thing more than anything. Listen, the, the, none of this, these games, the results really don't matter in terms of standings or records or anything like that. What they do matter for is mindset and direction. Is Germany headed in the right, headed in the right way? And right now, I don't think that the players know that they are. I don't think. I surely don't know the fans. They're still treading water, right, in, in the minds of many. We don't know what this Germany team is or where they're going. We don't know if Julian Nagelsmann is going to be able to get through to them. The early results against the United States and Mexico, they were fine. They were okay. But this is where the tests start. Turkey, Austria, they're not necessarily world powers, but they're very good competitive countries. They have good teams and they are tests. And I think they are tests that Julian Nagelsmann and his team needs to pass. They need he need they need to pass. Ultimately, how everyone feels about this is going to, to be judged on two things. The end results, which, of course, people want Germany to win. If you're a Germany fan, you want to see that. But two, how the team looks playing the style that Nagelsmann is employing. At the very beginning of Hansi Flick's tenure, Germany was much more attacking minded. They weren't really all that efficient, but at least they were pushing forward with urgency. Toward the end of Flick's reign, it became what we saw toward the end of Yogi Love's reign in that the team just looked apathetic and they looked hapless and like they didn't know how to win. So Nagelsmann can take a step forward just by having his team look energized, look like there's a sense of urgency there and look like they actually want to attack consistently. So we need to see wins. We need to see a good attacking style of play, and we need to see a sure defense. And it sounds like, okay, those are all basic things, but they are. But that is where Germany is at right now. You want basics because for so long, we haven't had them. You haven't had consistent defensive play. It's been one mistake after another, one terrible selection after another to populate the back line. The, the midfield itself has not been great one way or the other, defensively or in the attack. The attack has been choppy and often Flick could not push the right buttons to get the right players on the field. Nagelsmann's going to have to start to do that. He's going to have to start to do it quick. He's got to figure all of those things out. I don't know if he's quite at that stage where this is going to be a successful stint for him in terms of these two games, but he's going to have to do his best to, to make sure that he's checking all the boxes. Are we solid defensively? Are we controlling the midfield play? Does our attack look like it's playing with urgency? And I keep saying urgency because it's so key to me because for so long, it just looked like the team was content to get in a 1v1 and pass it back and start over and recycle. I want to see more. I want to see goals. I want to see this team going full bore to the net. I, I want to see goal contributions from the attackers and the midfielders. I need to see something. And I know a lot of you out there do too. So uh, this is a very key set of games for Nagelsmann. We want to see those results, but we need to see a style of play that looks like it's it's going somewhere. Like for once, this team has some direction and that they're working towards something. Uh, it, it appeared that way with Hansi Flick after the first handful of games, but then it went off the rails. So now it's up to Nagelsmann. Can he maintain some kind of progression 
or are we going to go two steps forward, one step back, like we saw so many other times in the past, especially toward the middle to the end of Hansi Flick's run? Similarly, when we're looking at upcoming games, we should take a brief look at what Bayern Munich has on tap coming up because soon enough we are going to be talking once again about Bayern. So let's just take a a quick look at some of the games that they have coming up uh, on their schedule. Of course, they will kick back off next Friday. Uh, against FC Colm, and what should be a pretty good match. Bayern will be favored, but they will be on the road, and that should be a, a nice test for them. But after that, they play Copenhagen again. The Champions League, we see Union Berlin on December 2nd, Eintracht Frankfurt on December 9th, Manchester United in the Champions League on the 12th, VfB Stuttgart on December 17th. Then Bayern will close out its Hinrunde with Wolfsburg on December 20th. A lot of good matchups there, a lot of intriguing uh, uh, games that could be played there. A lot of potential pitfalls for Bayern Munich if they start to look ahead. Specifically, I'm looking at that December 9th matchup against Eintracht Frankfurt. Manchester United, that match in the Champions League is on the 12th. Bayern will be traveling to England. That Eintracht Frankfurt match, even though Frankfurt has not been great this season, it is absolutely a trap game for Bayern Munich. They will they'll almost assuredly be looking ahead to play Manchester United. I mean, listen, most teams, you, you don't need a lot of motivation to go to Manchester United and play a game and want to beat them. But it, it's it, the stakes are a little bit heightened. It's the Champions League. Bayern has been on a roll. They probably have a very good chance at winning the three games ahead of that Frankfurt game. They could be feeling really good about themselves. I mean, Köln is what Köln is. They're decent, but not great. Copenhagen is a game Bayern should win. Union Berlin has really struggled. Maybe they get some new life under their interim coach. Who knows? But that Frankfurt game is definitely one that I look at and I say, that could be trouble. And it has nothing to do with Frankfurt's talent level because I think Bayern dwarfs Frankfurt in terms of, of pure talent and depth. But I worry that Byron and its players, they're all going to be focused on that trip to England and the chance to play on Manchester United's home turf and a chance to knock them off there in front of what should be an absolutely rowdy English crowd. So Byron Munich has some potential pitfalls ahead of it. And uh, I, I, for one, will be loving seeing them come back. Uh, I'm already starting to get a little bit of the sweats here during... <laughs> This international break, wanting to see the Bundesliga again, but uh, very interesting games coming up for Bayern Munich. Drop to me in the comments what you think about the upcoming schedule, how you think Bayern Munich will make out with it. And if you think I'm being a little bit of a wuss here, thinking that Frankfurt could be a trap game for them. Finally, the last topic that we'll touch on, this is something that we've hit on several different times because news is continuing to change and break regarding Alfonso Davies. This week, we saw a couple of interesting reports. Uh, Real Madrid, Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester City, and PSG are all among the teams looking to bring in Davies. We initially saw reports break out of Spain that Davies and his agent told Bayern Munich they have no intention of re-upping their contract with the club and that he would be moving on. We subsequently saw Davies' agent come out and make a statement saying that that's nonsense. Uh, Davies is focused on Bayern Munich. Okay, so two things there. 
it's good that he came out and said that the reports were nonsense because the reports absolutely indicated that Davies had already made his decision and had communicated that to Bayern Munich. So good, right? The second part of that tells me that there's a lot of merit to what is going on. And I don't believe that Davies has made any final decision, at least publicly. And I, I definitely don't think he has told Bayern Munich that he's definitely leaving. But what I do think is that Davies knows there's a good chance he wants to play elsewhere. And that these other teams know that and they're starting the circle. And I believe his agent has probably put the word out that he could be available next summer. And by could, I mean is. So we saw that whole story start to evolve, but then it, it even took another turn because aside of those clubs all being interested in Davies, we saw another report break saying that Liverpool, Chelsea, Man City, and PSG are all starting to take a step away from Davies because they feel like he has already made his decision to play for Real Madrid and that his heart is set on that move. And I found that very, very interesting because when you have the, the money that some of these clubs have, including PSG and Man City, you should never feel like you need to take a step away because your money can change anyone's mind for the most part. And it was curious to see that they were among the teams considering backing off of a pursuit of Davies because his mind was made up. Uh, with Davies, I have long considered him someone who is set to move on from Bayern Munich at the end of this deal. And the reason I've, I've thought that is that I don't see him as a lifer at Bayern. I think Bayern was a stepping stone for him to get to greater things. He proved himself on a platform, got himself exposure, won at the highest levels in terms of the Champions League, did a lot of tremendous things and built up a great reputation. In reality, he's also plateaued as a player, still has a lot of deficiencies and has really shown no sign of really wanting to work on those deficiencies and change them. Either way, his natural talent and his track record of success has made him a very attractive option on the transfer market. And in turn, it has made him a player that is very desirable for a number of reasons, uh, not just his footballing ability. So much like we talked about Lewandowski wanting to have a brand, Davies very much has a brand. He is a figure who is in tune with TikToks, YouTube, someone who has built a very steady social media platform. He's someone who is still young enough to be able to relate to what is cool with young people, unlike someone like me who is too old to relate to that. But Davies has set himself up nicely to not just have a brand, but to have a global brand. And I think his next move is going to be more about that brand than the actual footballing. And listen, anywhere he goes, whether it's Real Madrid, Liverpool, Chelsea, Man City, or PSG, he's going to have a good next stage of his career. He's going to be successful on the pitch. There will be a lot of team success. He will get a lot of notoriety. Uh, of course, he'll get more if he goes to Real Madrid or the, the Premier League. But either way, he is set up very, very nicely. And he will become a bigger star. I don't know if he'll ever get any better than he is now. But I don't know if that even matters to him at this point. Um, some of the deficiencies he's had in his game, they haven't changed. Uh, he's sloppy in possession. He's defensive awareness sometimes is extremely lacking his positioning can be lacking he's not always the best passer sometimes he forces shots a lot of times he puts his center backs in terrible positions by getting too far up the pitch and then not getting back when we're all full fully aware that he has the speed to track back against anyone so these are all things that that 
he needs to change. But there are also things that if you play at the level of a team like Real Madrid or Liverpool or Chelsea or Man City or whoever, you're going to have good coverage with teammates. And you're also going to have a little bit more freedom because of the sheer talent that's surrounding you. You're going to be able to make some of those mistakes, similar to what he does at Bayern Munich, to be honest with you. Uh, I always get put in the position of being the anti-Davies guy, and I'm really not because I actually like his game. I think he's got a great personality in terms of what his approach is in terms of interacting with fans and putting uh, an image out there to the media. I think he does a lot of good and smart things. And I think just talent wise, he's just a phenomenal athlete. I I do worry long-term that if he doesn't change some of these things, he's just going to be that same one trick pony kind of player where he can do some things really, really well, but he's never made the effort to change those things that he struggles with. And, And unfortunately there are a lot of players out there like that, but his top end is so high that there any team would take him. But even when he's having those middle-of-the-road games, he can still do so many impactful things that, in my mind, he'll be a player that any team would love to have and that any team will want just because of how he puts himself out there and the level of athleticism that he has. And by athleticism, I don't even necessarily mean like, oh, he's you know great running like you know 50 yards he's so fast it's not even just about that or his top speed it's about how when he wants to he can explode in five to ten yards away from a defender and get across it it's how he can track back to make a play if another defender gets beaten and then he's also physical enough to be able to withstand some of those stronger players like he's got a lot of great things about his physical tools like you you can't replicate much like Robert Lewandowski had the the strength to be able to battle with center backs in the box and the quickness to be able to maneuver around outside backs and away from defensive midfielders. Those are some great athletic traits that not every player has players like Davies players like Lewandowski Kingsley Coman Erling Holland. They all have great physical traits that separate them. And, and with Davies, those are always going to reign supreme for him until they don't, until he starts to lose a step, until some of his deficiencies start getting exposed on a more routine basis. And maybe in a league like the Premier League that's frankly deeper than the Bundesliga has more good players, has more good teams, maybe it will take that kind of wake-up call to really let Davies know that there are some things that he needs to change. I don't know that La Liga has that kind of depth that's going to wake him up. I think when you you talk about La Liga, you're talking about a handful of teams. It's very similar similar to how people view the Bundesliga. I think that Davies won't be pushed enough to make the changes that he needs to make. And when I when I look at Davies, I see this kid who could be so so much more than he is if he just wanted it. And I don't know at this point if he wants it to the point where he is willing to make those changes. Like many other players, he seems content to be what he is naturally, which is a very, very good player that he can go out on the pitch and put in a pretty good performance against almost anyone just based on what he does now and what his current level of play is. But think about what he could be like if he dedicated himself more, had more focus toward improving those things in his game, which which need improvement. And that's where I just, 
I get a little bit disappointed because you see what this kid is and you see what he can be. And, and I don't, I don't know if he's going to get there because I just don't know if he wants to. And it's always kind of funny to see that. Like you, you see people who have the highest levels of skill. They have the highest levels of physicality and athleticism. And sometimes they just don't make those. They just don't make the decision to be able to, to evolve with the game. And, whether Davies ultimately does that or not, it won't matter because just he's good enough to be good. Like he's good, but is he willing to to make the sacrifices to be great? And that's that's where I don't know if he'll do that. And as a left back, maybe being good is good enough. I mean, you don't need a a world class left back, right? I mean, it's it's a luxury more than it is a necessity. So for Davies, maybe that's the perfect role. Either way, uh, I do expect Davies to get a lot of interest. I do expect him to move on. And much like the reports this week, I am thinking that that Real Madrid is the leader in the clubhouse, but I would not rule out Man City here. I think the Premier League has so much to offer. Man City has a lot of money to offer. They have Pep Guardiola. They have a loaded roster. I don't. It would be pretty hard for for many players to turn that down if they had the opportunity to go there. So it'll be interesting to see what Davies does. Uh, I would like to see him start to make some of these improvements that I talked about. I don't know if he will. And it might not be my problem anymore if he moves on from Bayern Munich. But uh, one thing is for sure, he has built himself into something at Bayern Munich and Bayern gave him that platform to do so. Uh, He does in the end owe Bayern a lot for taking the chance on him when, when some other clubs were not quite willing to make that leap of faith. So I don't think that's going to mean a lot when it comes down to the, to the talks of the negotiating table. But uh, in the end, Alfonso Davies is is going to have to make a call. And right now to me, it looks like he will be leaving Bayern Munich this summer. That's about all I have for this episode of the weekend warmup. I appreciate you guys jumping in. Uh, We will be covering the Germany games over the course of this break. So Turkey and Austria will have full game coverage. Then we will jump right back into the Bayern Munich life uh, and have all of our normal podcasts and everything up and going. So I I think we should have a post-game show after the Saturday game for Germany, but we'll see. That's going to depend on availability. Either way, we'll have a flagship recorded over the weekend and posted late Sunday night or early Monday morning, Eastern standard time. So thanks again for listening. You can get me at the barrel blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB works. You can get Tom Adams at Tommy Adams 71. You can get Siler at C Y L three R. You can get, I need no name at BFW And then you can, as always get all of our great writers and podcasters at BavarianFootballWorks.com. Doing a lot of great stuff with our coverage there. Appreciate you guys jumping in, chiming in the community, dropping comments and engaging in good discussions. That's always my favorite thing to uh, read about and partake in is just seeing what you guys think and getting your thoughts because quite often they're better than mine. So uh, <laughs> I I enjoy reading them and getting the different perspectives. So have a great weekend. Have a couple of beers on me and we will see you next time.